theme verse that we've been using is for, for that is obviously from uh, Matthew 11. I'm going to read that, but with a little bit of text beforehand, and then a passage from Mark chapter 2. I hope uh, you can follow that on the screen or in front. So, <clears throat> over your Bible, Matthew 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. And reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. In autumn 1991, I know I'm dating myself, I was wrestling with big questions. I was studying marine biology, and I remember at the time I was writing an extended essay on the endocrine control, that's the hormone control of cephalopods, squids and the like, and octopus. Fascinating. <laughs> also, how do red seaweeds photosynthesize? You'd be surprised. And about the policy of cod stocks in the North Sea. Cutting edge. But I was also wrestling with the enigma of Jesus. Some friends were witnessing, telling me about Jesus, and I was having none of it. But over the course of the conversations that we were having, there was this kind of growing awareness that this Jesus wasn't someone I could just ignore or put to the sidelines and not 
contend with. I had my own views, my own perspectives, and they were definitely hostile. But I, I kind of became aware that I had this growing kind of conviction, horror, I guess I could phrase it, that if this Jesus is true, and these Christians were telling me they had faith, they'd met him, if this is true, it would make the very world of difference in every way. And as such, the world can't be the same. If he died and rose again, the tomb was empty. And therefore confirmed who he is and what he said about himself. My goodness. Jesus challenges us to reflect on who he is. Last week I spoke about his desire to call people into community, to gather as a new people under his kingship and reign in the heart of Jesus. He is about gathering people together, the scattered and the broken and and the misfits and all that. You may think that I'm about to launch in one of those sermons of who do you say I am, and in some senses I am, and many of you have kind of gone, yeah, we know that, because we've come to know Jesus Indeed, it's one of the titles and the talks of of Alpha, but I don't really want to go down that route particularly because, but I I am going to reference some of it because I know perhaps that there are those who are here today who are searching or maybe on that fence of skepticism, looking in and thinking, really? Jesus? And I want to to present to you and, and challenge you about the reality of who he is because he is unique and awesome and wonderful. But I want us also, as those who are believers, those who are convinced and confessing of his lordship, to have a review and a kind of refreshment, I hope, about what that content of saying he is Lord, he is the Lord of my life, that he is the Savior and Lord, of what actually is the scope of that. Obviously, uh, some great thinkers have phrased it in in far better ways than I have. Uh, Often we use this um, memorable statement from uh, C.S. Lewis, that that great author of last century, in 1942 and uh, and then published in Mere Christianity in 52. He phrased it like this. You no doubt some have heard of it. He says, I'm trying here to, to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a person who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange and terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. 
What a great summary. But why? How can he draw that conclusion? Presenting to us some obvious outcomes or options in a devastatingly simple phrase. Who is he? And the reason I want to focus on this this morning in this uh, overview of what happened in his life, not only the the outflow of his heart, but this is a really major theme of the Gospels. In Jesus uh, amongst us, in presenting himself to us and seeing very much in him every reflection of the Father. If we see Jesus, we see the Father. But also this very central thrust of what he says of who is he. That question comes to the disciples at the kind of that turning point of every gospel. Who do you say that I am? But that question is is evident all the way through the gospels, as we'll see in his interactions with people. In that calling to come and this sort of saying, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now, the framework for this is, is something really important to grasp because we look at this question from an entirely different perspective to those who were with Jesus. Jesus, they knew, had grown up in Nazareth, a man who was used to working with wood, a carpenter, and moved to Capernaum to begin his ministry. For them, the question was, here's this bloke, this man, this individual Jesus. We know his parents. We know his family. We know his community. He's been part of our nation. And he bursts onto the scene, preaching and teaching. The question being posed quite often in the, the scriptures is this kind of understanding. He was, we witnessed him. We ate with him. We heard him speak. We journeyed with him. We saw him weep. We saw him struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that he got tired. He slept at the back of the boat. In other words, they understood that he was ordinary, flesh and blood, just like us. And so the big question, the provoking question that they're answering is, is how can this flesh and blood man do what he does? Blowing their mind. But we come to it because we've got 2,000 years of history and going, well, of course he's God. We, we know the conclusion. And quite often, we struggle with the other end of the thing. We, we, we struggle about his humanity, his approachability, his ordinariness. That he's actually great to hang out with. Remember, we, we spoke of the temptations, and, and Phil uh, spoke about we, he's compassionate. We have someone who is entirely approachable. He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin, just as we are, and is the source of every compassion and help for us. In theological language, and, and this is really important for us as, as Christians, it's the incarnation. Fully God and fully human Always, not acting in one at one moment and the other at another, always in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully human in entirety. And it's really important we hold that centrally. If we just push it to saying he's, he's 
a great human being, absolutely. But if we separate that out or overemphasize the fact that he's fully human and and we, we say, yes, he's a teacher and a friend and a comforter and an example, well, he is all of those, but it has to be also as fully God in the glory of God, entirely revealed. We, if we want to know what God like is like, he is the one to show us. In every utterance, we, we discover what God Almighty is like. That he is powerful. And the things that he is about and that what he is establishing is of God. Through his humanity. It's amazing. Well, we often struggle to fit that. And we always have to watch ourselves in our conception about who Jesus is and our relating to Jesus. Are we holding both those aspects absolutely firmly? Because if we don't, we end up getting all in all sorts of odd positions. It's a challenge. Always is. As you see Jesus dying on the cross, that is God in weakness and vulnerability and brokenness. And it entirely destroys any conception that God is unmoved and abstract and separate from uh, suffering and the stuff of this world. But equally, dare we, dare we neglect that he is awesome and mighty and wondrous and beyond even our deepest thoughts. The rich young ruler, as the Gospels tell us, came to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of is a bit firm with him, really. He says, Why do you call me good? I mean, that's quite a provocative statement. Because in it, he's actually saying, Rich young ruler, man of means and authority and power, do you really think I'm good? Because actually the only one who is good is God. And if you really believe that, you'll actually listen to my answer and act on it. What does the rich young ruler do? He hears the answer to Jesus, you know, fulfill all the law. Yeah, done that. I mean, that's a bold statement, isn't it? And then says, well, go and sell all your possessions. Give to the poor. Too much. He didn't actually believe that Jesus is God. If he did... Sure, he would obey. One thing Jesus isn't is irrelevant or boring or forgettable. If your conception of Jesus as a skeptic or as a searcher have this picture painted and think, wow, he is just spectacular. Or if as a believer you've become a bit mundane with the Lord Jesus... Pray he'd get you out of your box. You see, in the scriptures, they, when presented with this man who taught and did the most wonderful things and was entirely attractive to everybody, I don't mean by that kind of, like we'd say, oh, you're so attractive. Actually, in in the sense, people wanted to be with him. People want to engage with him and hear from him and have him intervene in their lives and say, I'm willing to give up everything 
for this person and follow because I see that in losing myself, I gain everything. But there's this perplexity. Is he a teacher from God? Is he a prophet? Sometimes they say, well, he's the prophet like Elijah or, or even references to Jeremiah. Again, an Old Testament great prophet. Is he John the Baptist raised from the dead? Is he the Christ Messiah? Who is this? And some of them were a bit less favorable. Uh, some of them said he's a demon. He's a false prophet. He's a deceiver. He's a national threat to peace and order. He certainly gets people stirred. Let me just chart a few of, uh, of these as we go through. When Jesus healed, John 5, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They were stirred because he perceived to be doing something wrong. Again, when Jesus uh, calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. We heard in the story of, uh, uh, of the paralytic picking up his mat, the Pharisees were really Really, like, who is this? They began asking themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Absolutely right in that question. Spot on. Herod, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And tried to see him. The religious, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this spot-on question? And actually comes to the heart of the matter for us as believers. The high priest, when he was arrested and, uh, and being tried, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus said. And the question that lands right front and center in our consciousness. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? I hope you begin to see that this is a crucial element of the, the, the heart of Jesus. He desires our answer. And I want you to understand, if you're a skeptic and looking in, that what I'm saying isn't a construct of the church. It isn't that we've sort of retrofitted the evidence and kind of like present to you some sort of strange caricature of this historical Jesus. Actually, front and center of everything Jesus did and said was this provoking of us. This, put it like this, this stick he nudges us with us pokes us again and again. Who am I? Who am I? As necessary for a believer, to, to someone to enter into the kingdom as it is for each of us in our discipleship to understand what it means that Jesus is Lord. Obviously, his actions speak so clearly. Do you know that Jesus, in his actions, claimed unique authority? This kind of fallacy that he was just a good teacher and an example for us to follow, and we can draw from him the things that seem to resonate with us. He actually claimed unique authority, and the impact of that is actually, will we listen? He claimed authority over the temple, 
that place that God had chosen to dwell, that representation of everything that was holy and sacred and defined the Jewish nation. Jesus himself claimed authority over it. He said, destroy this temple in three days and I will build it. Jesus claimed authority and we see this in his actions over demons and evil spirits. We're kind of aware of evil in the world and the forces that are arranged against us. But Jesus quite categorically demonstrates through his actions he's greater than. But he says there is power. He talks about in this, you know, if, if you want to rob a strong man's house, what do you have to do? You have to overcome the strong one and, and, and demonstrate that you are more powerful. Again and again, this Jesus, head and shoulders, more than overcomes the evil one even over the prince of demons over every sickness and disease even over nature itself over the sabbath again one of those those things that keep the sabbath holy was one of those things they sought to do to set aside the seventh day and rest and they'd made all these regulations around it and jesus said, i have authority over that even over death Who does that? Who does it? Obviously, there's the signs. John 2, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all these things? To forgive sins. To calm the storm. To raise the dead. To vanquish over everything that we are powerless against. Who does that? Still. We've endured some storms over the last few weeks, haven't we? Lots of trees down. Storms make us realize we're really quite weak. Have you noticed? Red warning, don't go out. Danger of death. I'm not belittling the storm and far from kind of making light of these things, but wanting to point to the fact that Jesus has authority over them. In a storm raging on the Sea of Galilee, what did he say? Be still with a word like glass. The very next encounter in the Gospels is, is the story of Legion, the man possessed by evil embodiment, raging and turbulent and cutting himself and superhumanly strong, and everyone was terrified with a word, Jesus said, be in your right mind. And he was. From time to time, we are asked to conduct funerals and put life and death in context. Those forces at work in our life, we are still prone to, even with our marvels of science and technology, we still recognize we are quite powerless against a raging hurricane, against powers that are at work in our world. And our very weak, frail human bodies that wear out and give up 
and get ended oh so quickly. One of the things I was struck by at a recent funeral was, why don't, why, why don't we actually trust this Jesus who has gone through death and is raised? Who do you say I am? His authority, his miraculous actions. You know, there's 34 uh, separate miracles in the Gospels, not to mention the miracles around his birth and his death and resurrection and transfiguration and ascension and so forth. This Jesus is the master of nature and disease and death. But more than that, his words the outflow of, of what he teaches. He is, and he describes himself as over the law, that Israel's greatest treasure. He again and again says, well, you've heard the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard this, but I say to you, truly or verily, if you like a slightly old-fashioned uh, translation, verily, truly, I tell you. What's he driving at? He's saying, you should be certain of what I am saying to you because I say so. Not just the scriptures say, not just that you've heard it taught to you by the religious establishment, but I say to you. In other words, this is enough. You don't need to be referenced or cited or to have other people back up the opinion. The Lord Jesus says it. Jesus himself compared himself, but in a, in a sense of, you saw them, but now me. He said he was greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than Abraham, the very father of the nation, greater than Jacob, greater even than the temple itself. He even calls for our loyalty to go beyond that, even to that of a father or a mother or a wife or husband, or children. By that which he calls himself and refers and is referred to himself, his titles. We heard it in that story, you're the son of man. People call him the son of David. What does that mean? It, it, it roots itself way back into the, the Old Testament. King David, who was given a covenant said, today I will be your father, you will be my son, and you, there will be an everlasting king and throne in this nation. And Jesus rightly says, I am of the son of David, the root of Jesse. In other words, David's dad. I am the true king of Israel. He gets called a prophet, and, and yes, of course he is. Not kind of... Um, rehashing the old, but saying, actually, I am the long-awaited prophet, the one who has looked forward, who would be the herald and instigator of the kingdom and the reign and rule of God. Truly, I say to you, says prophet Jesus, and just like the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, barring John, Elijah, who spoke the words of God and did miracles. Do you see why they might see that Jesus is like Elijah? He speaks the very things of God and the miracles accompany. People call him Lord. They call him the Son of God, the Messiah, 
and the Son of Man. I remember when I was seeking in 1991, and I said, where is it that Jesus says categorically that he is the Messiah? Rather than this sort of ambiguous Son of Man or, or the Son of David, where is it that he says this is this is, this is the revelation. Well, he doesn't quite say it in the way I wanted, but he says it replete in John when he uses the things, I am the resurrection, the life, echoing back to the great holy name of God. I am who I am. But there's that wonderful encounter in John 4 when Jesus is with that Samaritan woman, that outsider, and basically says, I am that Messiah you're looking for. I mean, Jesus, in his beautiful way, announces it to a, a woman who's had multiple husbands living with someone outside marriage at the noon of day when the disciples aren't there, but kind of lets her in on the secret. The wondrous news. This is the one. As he was crucified, the sign on the cross, this is the king of the Jews. Son of man, that, that most um, chosen phrase of Jesus. He loves that one, probably because it's a bit ambiguous and, and maybe because, well, let me explain. 69 times in the synoptics, he is referred to or self-refers to himself as the son of man. 13 times in John. Obviously, there's Old Testament roots, uh, particularly around Daniel. There is a bit of ambiguity but I think he's wanting to emphasize to us he is fully human and fully God. Who do you say I am? And even in his understanding of his mission, the authority and the kind of with eyes to see plainly just who he is. That as we, we understand his heart and as we understand his call and, and what he is doing amongst us, this is at the bedrock, this confession of ours. That for all of us, there comes that point where we must repent of our doubt and disbelief. To confess him. An utterance in Philippians that said that we believe it, uh, in Romans, says if we believe in our heart uh, and, and that God raised him from the dead and confess with his mouth, that he is Lord, we are saved. Philippians, we sang it, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just lip service, but to follow him. Into what? And this is the final area I just want to touch on. Not only in what he has done and what he says, but in what he brings. His work, his mission. On the front of our notice sheet this week, the manifesto of Jesus in Luke, that he has come to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom and release to the captive. His mission to enable us to meet again, to be reconciled not only with God, but with our Heavenly Father. And to give us the very breath of life again, the Spirit of God. He calls each and every one of us in these kind of sweeping statements that get writ large in every action. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. To rescue and redeem, to forgive and heal and call people in.
Owen, tell of him, let others know. Who is he? For the most amongst us, you may be thinking, can I trust this Jesus? Who is there like him? And for many of us who believe and confess, who regularly say this statement of Jesus is Lord, let that understanding percolate through and out. In our prayer life, in our witnessing, in our, our seeing what the Father is still doing in his world, in establishing and extending his reign and rule. That's what we're called to be part of. He hasn't stopped. He's amazing. Last week, Stacey, in, as I close, uh, told us in the Inspiring Stories series, I'm sad that we, we couldn't record it for security reasons and, and things that she was sharing, but she was telling us about one of the people she knew, an Afghani believer who had to be relocated because of, of the pressure uh, uh, the, the Taliban after him. He's a, he's a marked man, and he'd fled with his family, but his home in, in Kabul was still... He had a, you know, there's an orchard and, a, and again, he was concerned about his, his livelihood in this place. And so uh, he was praying, Lord, can I go and visit? Can I go and visit? And the Lord said, no, no, no. And then one day as he was praying, the Lord said, today you can go. And so he went with his two children and visited the place and left. In the mosque, a friend of his was questioned by the Taliban and they said, why uh, not his real name, but the name Stacy used. Why was Ben here? Why did he come? And they said, oh, I don't know. Why are you trying to trap me? And they said, we were going to arrest him. But he was surrounded by men in white. Who were they? And his friend said, I don't know. <laughs> When, when managed to kind of catch up with him, who did you go with? He said, I was with my two boys, They're under 10. They said they saw a group of men with you and they couldn't touch you. This Jesus, he's amazing close by to each one of us, to ask us to reaffirm our confession of faith. He is Lord. Are you doubting and weary? He is Lord. Come to him, for he is good. If you're burdened, come to him. If you need his intervention and need his help, come to him. All of you who are weary and burdened, receive rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Let's pray together.